Hello, this is the Book Table Podcast, uh, your audio book club with me, Sophie, and I'm joined by Fee. Hello. And Annie. Hi. Uh, This is our book news episode, uh, which is where we discuss news in the world of books. So things like new releases, book prize winners or shortlists, anything happening in the world of publishing, that kind of thing, as well as our own personal book news. So what are we reading? What books have we just finished? And what are we planning to read next? Uh, and that's about it, really. So who wants to go with the first piece of news? I think we should start off with Annie, seeing as it is oh, the, yeah. the biggest news so far. I mean, yes. I, yeah, so this is a series that I'm starting that is also a big piece of book news. As uh, you may know, the Booker Prize uh, has been going on for the past few months and it was finally announced um the 3rd of November, so sometime last week, and uh, I am have been working on, and am, you know, going to continue to work on what I'm calling my bluffer's guide to the Booker Prize. <laughs> Think of it this way. I read them so you don't have to. Uh, my hope is, I reckon, that by the end of the year, I can read the entire long list, what's called the Booker Dozen. So it's 13 books that get long listed for the Booker Prize. And I figure that if I read all 13 Booker Prize books, I can then, you know, give you a tour guide of, you know, these are the ones worth reading. If you're interested in this, read this. And also, like, these are the ones that should be avoided. Mm. Um, And also I can develop very strong opinions that you can then steal to impress people in like parties and stuff by being like, <laughs> I have very nuanced, sophisticated opinions about the Booker Prize. Um, in my head, you're all at literary dinner parties, which, you know, that's aspirational for all of us. It really I'm is. Sure. I wish to be at a, a fancy, you know, dinner party talking about yeah. what I have and have not read, <laughs> but looking smart at the same time. Like yeah. that's the goal. So, <laughs> how are we looking? Effortless, you know? We look cool, but we don't look like we're trying. No, we're not over-trying. Yeah. Like, look at our edgy book choices, yeah. and we're so much better than you. Yeah. No, we're just enjoying our canapes, talking about good books. That's what keeps you going throughout the meals. Because sometimes, you know, like, come dine with me, you would, like, appreciate... <laughs> you'd appreciate... Oh, the worst thing. Some... The worst thing about come dine with me is having to make that much conversation with strangers. That's the worry. That and also yeah. them snooping around my house. Excuse me. Oh, who God. said you could go upstairs? And then they sit in the cab and bitch about your cooking. It's called come dine with me, not reliving my teenage <laughs> years. Yeah, they are very judgmental. So. Um, first of all, I thought I'd just give you a quick run through of the Booker Prize. This is your like, you know, you start the conversation with this. So every year there are 13 books nominated for the Booker Prize. Um, I'm not going to go through them all, but I will say so about five or 10 years ago now, uh, they said that any English language book could be nominated for the Booker Prize uh, rather than just books written in the Commonwealth. And that was a controversial decision at the time, probably still is, because there is a lot of concern that uh, does this, uh, was the good thing about the Booker Prize that it highlighted non-American authors? 
But in general, I think you are still seeing a really good um, spread of authors of different nationalities. I mean, it's not as diverse as it could or should be, but I don't think the feared sort of, you know, sweeping wave of American winners has happened. Uh, on the shortlist, you had uh, three... Oh, actually, I'm now going to read out the shortlist that is going to completely contradict my last <laughs> point. So the shortlist has three authors from the United States. Patricia Lockwood with uh, No One Is Talking About This, Richard Powers with Bewilderment, and Maggie Shipstead with The Great Circle. You then had one author from Sri Lanka. I hope I'm pronouncing this right. His name is Anuk Aradpragasam. Uh, with A Passage North. One sort of novel written by someone who was from Somalia and the UK. That's uh, Nadifa Mohammed with The Fortune Man. And then from South Africa, you had Damon Galga with The Promise. Now, I think the real, the, the positive thing about the Booker Prize was that it, because it was a, it had been a Commonwealth Prize. It brought attention to books. I mean, they did have to be published in English, but books from around the world. It wasn't sort of UK and America-centric. And although mm -hmm. I think there has been a large wave of people from the US being nominated for the Booker Prize, I think you can see from that list, we're still getting a good... Um, it's still, I think, highlighting authors from around the world and especially sort of authors with who bring different experiences to the narratives that they're writing um it wasn't a great year for first time authors interestingly enough a lot of very established authors i don't think um there might have been one or two first time authors but the majority of them very big names uh rachel cusk who just finished the outline trilogy uh kazu ishiguru who uh, just won the years ago, the Nobel Prize. Oh, yeah. Um, people who were sort of mainstays of these kinds of lists, like Fraggy, uh, Francis Bufford and Maggie Shipstead. Uh, and also Richard Powers, I think. Yeah, I've seen him on these lists before. So basically, it was a fairly standard Booker Prize year. Um, so what you can say to people is, oh, yeah, I, I wasn't... I was." Interested but not surprised is the phrase I would use if you're bluffing about your. <laughs> if you're bluffing, yep. Yeah. I was mm, interested. Everybody but, take notes. But not surprised yeah. by this year's Booker announcement, I have to say. Um, unfortunately, I have not read The Winner yet uh, because there are 13 books and I've given myself a whole year, uh, of which we're five or six months in. Uh, so the winner was uh, Damon Gal. Galgat, The Promise, um, who looked like it meant the world to him as it, his name was announced. He looked so surprised and delighted. So based on that alone, I think it's great. And um, I will give you an opinion on the book itself when I've read it. In the meantime, I have about four or five Booker Prize novels to catch you up on. So this is going to be a very quick run through. Okay. First of all, I'll start with the long-listed authors who didn't make it to the shortlist. Uh, second place by Rachel Cusk. Eh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it three out of five for sort of you know as a book a book. I'm not ranking these as normal books. I'm ranking these as books that you know were nominated for 
possibly the biggest prize in British books. Second place I found unsatisfying, but I didn't think that was what it wanted. Like, it's a very frustrating book. I will say though, the language is beautiful. If you like beautiful language, second place is for you. Um, Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Shiguru. I think this is a great novel if you like Ishiguro's sort of contemplative, speculative style. Um, it, it's very thoughtful. It's written from the perspective of an AI companion of a, of a, a small girl. Or, no, not small. She's maybe sort of between 10 and 15. Um, yeah, it's good. It's speculative. I don't think anyone thinks it's his best novel. Is what I'll say. Well, that's. I read Never Let Me Go. What? How do you feel like compared to that that novel? Um. Never Let Me Go. I think. Is a novel with a wide audience. I think lots of people will find the story gripping yeah. and emotional. Clara and the Sun is a harder novel to get into. It 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 just it's a little bit more obscure and esoteric. But I also think if you like clever, interesting, speculative fiction, there's something in there for you. But mm. I wasn't surprised that mm. it was long-listed but not short-listed. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, Karen Jennings, An Island. I loved this book right up until the end. The ending infuriated me. Like, it was a four out of five stars book until the end, at which point it became a two out of five stars book. That was oh, how... <laughs> irritating <laughs> however oh, no. it is right now free if you have kindle unlimited oh so i mean there's no harm maybe stop five pages before the end and believe that it ends happily it was sudden as well that's what i disliked about the ending it was just suddenly everything went wrong very very quickly and then it was like eh, it's finished now it's also a very huh, the entire the book as a whole wavers between optimism and pessimism about the future of humanity and the way that people treat other people and then suddenly at the end it comes hard down on the side of everything is terrible and people are awful. A warning. Okay. I didn't like that one. If you couldn't tell. Um and Francis Bufford's The Light Perpetual. I thought this was a shoe-in for the shortlist. I loved this. Uh, this follows the sort of the theoretical lives that six children would have led if they weren't killed in a bomb in the Blitz. A uh, real bomb, but fake children. But yeah. it sort of says, oh, these children died at these point, but this is what would have happened. And it is a lot about time. It's about imagining what... It, it's about saying when we understand a tragedy, part of the only way we can understand it is in the time that will never be lived afterwards. Which I think is a nice thing to be reading at the moment. It's a nice way to think about a human perspective on mass tragedy, yeah. which we probably all need. Mm. It was also just a really beautiful book. It was five kids. They are all from a working class part of London, but they all sort of diverge enormously in what they go on to do. And it's a lot about how we change from being children to being adults, but also about how we stay the same. Um, and it follows them right the way through from, what, 1942, when they're 
2005, I think, all the way through to, you know, 2010. I also found it really easy to read. I think it's a really... I don't know how long it is, but it felt short. It felt quick and fast-paced, which is good. I quite enjoy books like that. Oh, it's glorious. I think you would really like it as well, because it's kind of... It's both high stakes and peaceful. Mm. Like, there are really distressing moments, but it also has moments of peace, which is nice. Usually I'm not, like, a fan of, like, wartime novels like world war Uh two world war one set novels um i'm not sure why no everyone has their choices it is really interesting i will also say Mm. it's not a wartime novel it starts in the second world war but like five pages in the second world war's finished and they're just living their lives i think i was raised i think it's because we were quite raised on a lot of michael monpergo and that was his thing we've all read first world war novels um, you're not going to like the next one then because it mm, is maybe one quarter Second World War, but beautiful, beautiful, beautiful one quarter Second World War. Um, this next one was, uh, I have only read one book from the shortlist, but I read it <laughs> and loved it so much that I was like, this book better win. It didn't, but I still hope that a lot of people read it. And it is Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. This book has everything. It is a novel of epic proportions it's so it's two parallel stories one is a sort of a disillusioned hollywood starlet who'd been a child star and a sitcom star and is now wreathed in scandal um making the film making a biographical film about uh, a female pilot and then it's also the story of that female pilot from i think the 1920s and throughout her life up until sort of the 1940s and her dealing with the war I think it ends her story ends in uh, around about 1950 and then it's set in the present day the story of this uh actress Uh, this book was I I just sank into it I wanted to live in the world of this book you know what I mean it it has everything it has like three Mm. different epic romances it has families it and it also thinks about how we are made by the people around us how even things about our parents that we never knew affect us how how we sort of exist within the world that created us and how we then go on to create the world that other people exist in like it it had everything. It had beautiful plot. It had beautiful prose. It had, I think it was a very diverse, it was set in sort of 1920s America and present day LA. And I think some people would have used that as an excuse to say, oh, I'm writing about a female pilot. That's my diversity. It really not exactly goes out of its way, but in a very natural way, it considers a huge swath of people, a huge swath of their stories. I think it, it takes pains to be about as many people as possible while also telling one story so specifically but so well that it feels universal. So far it might be my favourite book of the year. Wow. Um, so just in summary, I'm sorry I've gone on a long time, skip an island, skip second place, uh, read The Clara and the Sun if you're an Ishiguru fan. 
The Light Perpetual is worth a spin, and if you're reading okay. one Booker Prize novel this year, my money is on it being The Great Circle. And I will update you when I have read more of them. Amazing. I definitely am going to read some of those books from your recommendations. You're going to go straight in and read an island, aren't you? I am. Yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, should, I, okay. should I go on with my news? My news is about a book that I have pre-ordered and I've been quite interested in getting for a while. And that is um, Emily Ratajkowski's book. Um, it's a book of essays and it's called My Body. Um, so, uh, as you may well know, Emily Ratajkowski is a very famous supermodel. Um, she debuted like when she was 21 in Robin Thicke's video. Um, I've actually forgotten the name. Oh, it's, forgot- is that Blunt Lines? Blunt, yeah, that's it. I was like, I've forgotten the name of it. <laughs> that's how long <laughs> oh, ago God, it feels. Oh, God, that takes me back. I was quite interested to see that she'd written you know a book of essays especially after her um article that she wrote last year kind of talking about um her experience of being exploited and her image being exploited and her fight to kind of claim back the image of her body and i thought it was um you know an interesting discussion that we don't really hear we i think we know the way models get treated and abused in the industry but i don't think we truly understand the effects that that has on the model i think it's so easy for people to look at them and assume that they are living the life because they are not conscious about um their body image and and Mm -hmm. how to better it but actually they are the most conscious about their body image because they're trying to profit off it you know they are profiting off their body image and the way the male gaze views it um and i thought this was a really i read um an article that was published in l and it was i think it was a really good article that was talking to um emily and it was and talking to also lisa uh, Tadeo, who's um, the author of Three Women, um, and both books have this this look at body image and feminism and what it means to them um, personally, and um, and their 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 relationship with that, and also their journey to figuring out what it meant to them, um, and you know it it's kind of this question of when is it progress and when is it exploitation like when do we feel that we are in power of our image and when do we feel like our image is being exploited because i can't remember Mm -hmm. i I can't remember a time not being conscious about my body you know i don't know how you guys feel about it but i think it's a really interesting topic that the way our society has deemed the female body. And I think it's really good that we now have... <laughs> Whatever shaky progress we might have made, I think it's helped enormously by having women like models who are willing to have these conversations. I think Definitely. in when we were growing up, like in the 90s and the early 2000s, there was a lot of sort of defensive talk about, oh, well 
it's my choice and so therefore it must be feminism and I think a lot of women were exploited through being made to feel like they were choosing to do something that they wouldn't necessarily choose to do if they didn't feel like their body was a sort of marketable asset something that they didn't own themselves you know and I think Mm -hmm. yeah I like I don't know enough about this but I think that the fact that we have models who are willing to confront the issue head on and mm. think carefully about it and talk honestly about about their own experiences, but also the way in which that intersects with feminism, like I think that can only be a good thing. I think the yeah. the talk of male gaze, I I don't. Um, my introduction with that word wasn't until a few years ago that. I realized what the male gaze was, even that mm. term, you know, and and when I, you know, read about it, I was like, oh my gosh, mm. I have been looking at my reflection through a male gaze. I have not been looking at myself just by just looking at myself without male gaze influence. Um, and I think, you know, that translates so much into yeah. the media that we are fed that we are just fed constantly this this uh, uh, some sort of image that is praised versus everything else that is that it is not worthy um yeah. yeah well and i think changing the way that we think about our bodies isn't just saying everyone's beautiful it's sort of saying eh, it doesn't it, no one needs to yeah. be beautiful you know you're your body does other stuff better stuff yeah this you know? this idea of of function we've prioritized aesthetics over function of our body and like i think it's um i think also i was uh you know i came across a, a, a video um by a quite a well-known um booktuber and um he was talking about the new york post article that um was had a picture of Gigi Hadid and Bella Hadid um and saying oh look they're making books the new hot accessory basically being a very misogynistic piece saying that oh they're they're carrying books around with them to look smart as well as hot and and not actually being like um do you think they may be reading these books do you think they may actually like reading um and i think it's just very it's very upsetting to see the toxicity that comes around viewing models as pretty pieces to just make fun of and and or or admire and i think having having a first person account is going to be opening a really important conversation and i think it's going to be really um informative to a lot of women who who haven't you know kind of thought about the perspective of someone who who um profits off of body image and and their their appearance um i think yeah it's it's i'm looking forward to getting my copy and um i will probably tell you how how it is so bit of news i'm gonna go with so on this podcast we like to talk about like you know, books of all kinds and to not kind of really be, I guess, judgmental or picky about like the type of things that you're reading. Yeah. Anything wordy, we read it. Yeah. 
All reading is good reading. Yeah. So the thing that I'm I'm going to talk about is uh is a webtoon actually that we, I just found out Fee also reads. But yes, I do. So <laughs> it, it's a very excited about and I, I was just like I'm going to talk about it anyway because I don't have another place to and then I was like oh great there's two of us we can get off on Ali um but yeah we both read uh, a webtoon called Brass and Sass um by Antorella and it's essentially kind of a high school comedy I guess about um a girl who uh joins uh, a, a concert band and it's like, yeah, third an season yeah. Uh, no, they don't have strings. Uh, I think it's is a concert that band the or band or something Is that, like that the difference between a band and an orchestra? Uh, one, one of them, yeah. God, look who's pulling out knowledge <laughs> See, from I... orchestra. Oh, so you don't wow. have like saxophones and orchestras and stuff? They don't have saxophones and orchestras? Mm. They should. Yeah. I mean, not traditional orchestras. You might do nowadays. Yeah. I never knew that. I actually, I thought, I thought band was just the American term no, for orchestra. No, bands tend to be like wind and brass instruments. So is generally. that where you can play both the cello and the euphonium? Wow. So that you can be in both band and orchestra? Yes, that, that's what I did. <laughs> it was just a plan for world domination through instrument groupings? Yes, exactly. Uh, look at me now. Look at the power of the mast. <laughs> But no, anyway, so yeah, um, it's set in a band and it's it's coming back for its third season, which starts on, I think, the 24th of November. So I'm also kind of bringing this up now so that, like, you can go yeah. read the first two. Uh, there's like 91 episodes or something, so it shouldn't take you that long. But anyway, I'm just, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to it. I think it's a really well-written series that does a really good job of rounding out its full cast of characters and then also kind of talking about like a lot of issues that kind of intersect with sort of teenage life so it touches on things like mental health issues you know race class in particular I, I like the discussion that it has about class because as someone that you know I did a lot of music as an extracurricular back when I was in school and at uni and stuff it is not an equal opportunity mm. hobby it you know there is a quite you know there's a barrier to entry of cost and I really like that that's something that she kind of centers in this story that it's it's a lot less accessible to people than something like, I don't know, football. Because if you really want to, you can play football with two friends at a water bottle. But with a, but with music, you know, you need to have an instrument. Yeah. You need to learn how to use the instrument. It's a lot, you know, it does shut out more people, and it's a lot harder to get into, um, depending on your kind of on your background. So I really like that she kind of very much puts that at the heart of the series and just kind of explores that. Um, but yeah, no, I'm just very excited about it. And I think she does a really good job with writing all the characters. Yeah. I mean, like, Camilla is a, is just such a, a likeable character, I think. Yeah. Because of her enthusiasm, her sheer determination to, you know, enjoy what she wants to enjoy, despite her circumstances. She fights for what she wants, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and then you've got, you know, the juxtaposition of victor and his very strict nature and very mm -hmm. controlling nature not in a like not in a you know bad way that it affects others necessarily but more that it affects him yeah. and his relationship to loving his hobbies mm -hmm. um i think it's just such a lovely um webtoon of you know high school romance but also like 
just the the complexities that comes with being a teenager and yeah. figuring out what it is you like and also having to be good at it and comparing yourself all the time with mm -hmm. you know other students around you and and feeling like you're not good enough to just do yeah. things that you love it definitely kind of addresses some of that kind of you know mindset that happens when you're in a performative art which suddenly you know you're all comparing yourself to everyone else and it can get kind of very stressful and everything like that yeah mm. i have a question as someone mm. who you know does not read yet webtoons or should i say does not read webtoons yet um <laughs> is it serialized so will it come out sort of one episode a week yes yes unless you buy coins oh. well if you are reading it <laughs> so there is a little money okay, involved yeah. if you are reading it serially how do you yeah. find like having something that you're mm -hmm. reading that's once a week episode how do you think that changes the reading experience that's such an interesting question. Um, I would say it actually, I don't know. I, th I feel like I am moving with the story, almost like moving with the characters. Mm -hmm. I think it's take it allows you to take time to like really enjoy the scenes that, um, that, you know, makes your heart race or like, you know, gets you really excited. Mm -hmm. And so, like, either you'll be like, oh, I can't wait till next week because I need to read the next one now. I'm going to get, like, I'm going to buy a fast pass and skip ahead to to um, read the next, next, you know, episode or whatever. But also, like, you know, I think so easily when you when you have a lot of books that you want to read, you will just try and get through the, the, your current book as soon as possible and not give yourself time to di digest the story you've just mm. read and let it really like, just like marinate and and be something, be an experience to enjoy rather than a tick off the list. I yeah. think that's something that can like, you know, really um, take over the experience and the enjoyment of reading is just this pressure to keep up with all the new books that are coming out and um, feel like, you uh you just need to keep reading in order to keep that almost reader status and you don't you can have long periods of not reading anything and just enjoy you know it took me like ages to read starless sea and that was one of that's one of my favorite books it took me months to read it but i think that was because i really just wanted to enjoy reading the book especially when you're reading it for the first time like you 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 want to savor that experience because so often you'll just say, oh, if only I could read that for the first time again, you know? Yeah, so many books. Mm. All right, yeah. so what about you? Yeah, I think I'm kind of like, I'm definitely quite used to it because I've like, I've also read a lot of comics and again, they're a very kind of serialized mm. form. So that's, I guess I'm pretty used to that. But also I think, I think the good ones, I think, they really know how to make that serialized format mm. work there's the good ones will kind of hook you in that even if you are really excited for the story to progress it's quite easy to get into a mindset of like i can't wait for that next chapter there can actually be quite as much as you really want the next episode there could be something really nice i think about having something that you can read on a weekly basis and that you know will kind of come out because i definitely had a time 
particularly when I was in uni, when I was kind of not in maybe mm. the best mindset, but I was reading a web comic online which updates like one page a week, which is like even less than a webtoon does. It's just like one page. But that just became something that I really looked forward to. I just knew that every like every Thursday there was going to be a new page and that I was going to like that was like something that I was just going to look forward to and would, you know, I would enjoy, which I think is also quite a nice thing to have to kind of, you know, just something that you do look forward to and you think, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, this is a little highlight of my day. And I think that kind of it's a different way of reading, but I think it can still be. Yeah, kind of I really think it enjoyable. can really like make you think about your reading habits and see what <clears throat> what is enjoyable for you. Um, but also I, um, <laughs> I got, um, the Laura Olympus book that, um, just got released and, um, I haven't started yeah. reading it yet, but it's, I think that's going to be interesting to compare reading through Webtoon where you're, you're getting it week by week versus getting a book of it and seeing how fast you get through that. No, I've definitely, I also, so the webcomic there's a webcomic called bookworms that i've been reading and i've been reading that kind of for years and again they collected so what a lot of them do they like she then collected like the first kind of volume together and it was it was really nice actually just sitting down and like actually having it as much as anything i think it it makes it easier to like look at the art especially you you kind of have a bit more time and then also it can be a little bit easier to pick up like narrative threads because if you are reading mm. something like one page on page at a time, something that happened 12 months ago kind of goes out of your mind a little bit. And so there can be like, it, I found it both enjoyable to do it in both ways, because when you are reading it all in one go, you're like, oh, OK, yes, I remember more of these plot threads that are kind of coming through. I think that is an interesting point that that it's not just words you're appreciating. It's the drawing it's as well. So there's more of it to kind of take in when you're reading it yeah so sort of appreciating it week by week is something to something nice to look forward to but it's also nice to think of it as a sort of whole piece of art so uh that was uh sort of our news of what's coming up in the world of books so uh yeah, now should we move on to like what are we reading currently or what are we planning to read for the rest of November? So, Annie, I know you've mentioned a fair bit of book advisors, books. Are there any kind of, I don't know, the next one that you're reading or any other books that you're reading alongside that? Oh, I mean, well, I'm just, I'm ticking, I'm ticking my way through the book list. I think the next is The Fortune Man um, uh, by Nad- Nadifa Muhammad. But I also have... <laughs> um, I think I have two, eh, I'm going to call it one and a half because I've read two books, but they're a series this month that I okay. really want to highlight. And that is the Thursday Murder Club books by Richard Osman. So the Thursday Murder Club and The Man Who Died Twice. Mm-hmm. These are such perfect November books. They are cozy. They are funny. Um, I think I'm always on the lookout for things that I can tell my that I can tell my parents to read they are picky they are extremely picky (laughs) but I don't want to discuss very serious books with them I want to you know have an enjoyable thing I can share with them so I'm always on the lookout for books that are cozy and funny but also clever and well crafted 
and these just fit that perfectly. If you're looking for a cosy November read, go ahead with those. Um, sort of next up on my to read pile, alongside all of the booker books, is actually one that Fee lent me. It is The House on the Cerulean Sea by TJ Kuhn. I know. Oh, I love that one. I know very little about this book, but Fee gave it to me, and, you know, I expect to love it purely because you love it. Um, and then. I did say to Annie when I gave it to her that she would love this book. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also. V.E. Schwab uh, sort of has a pull quote saying it's like a big gay. It's like being wrapped up in a big gay blanket. And I was like, right, I'm there. I am there. Who doesn't love being wrapped up in a big gay blanket? Yeah. Um, and my final sort of to be read for November uh, is one that I'm sort of maybe a third of the way through. And that is a book of essays called Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino. Um, sort of reminiscent of the essays that you were talking about, Fee, it, I think the sort of the overall theme is about how we see ourselves and how we understand ourselves and how we understand the world around us and how that's sort of manipulated mm. by the modern world, by media, by, um, oh, I'm, I'm 21% of the way through. I grossly overestimated how much of it I've read. <laughs> um, but the first essay was absolutely incredible. It was about, um, social media and the effect of like having to always be on and always perform for social media and what that does to your sense of self mm -hmm. um and then she writes a second one mm. about her experience being on a sort of teen reality show in 2005 maybe 2008 2010 um Gia Tolentino is a really good author and I love a personal narrative essay, you know, someone who's a good writer and who's doing a lot of research and interviewing a lot of people journalistically, but also putting in their own narrative and their own story. And also, Nia yeah. Tolentino, awesome person. She co-authored with, uh, co-authored, co-wrote with Ronan Farrow, the investigative piece that The New Yorker did on Britney Spears. Oh, really? Yeah. So she was an incredible investigative journalist based on that piece. And also is a really good sort of think piece author. So, okay. yeah. And so far, I'm really enjoying it. Okay. Fee, uh, I know you had a stack of books. So <laughs> I have a big stack of books. That's all right. I apologise in advance. Yeah. Fee filled up a Waterstone stamp card this month. I really did, and I'm so excited to get more books. They're probably going to be sick of seeing my face. Oh, God, she's in here again. They're literally like, didn't I just serve you like five minutes ago? I was like, yeah, but I filled up my my, my Waterstones card. I have a wish list in my head. So I've been reading like a few books this November. Um, I read... Um, I've nearly finished um, Sayaka Murata's um, Earthlings um and i it's a really interesting narrative because it takes the narrative at the beginning of a child and um it's it's quite funny in places but it's very 
it can be very dark in in other places. It it has um, you know themes of sexual abuse and um, it is about this um, child uh, Natsuki who believes she was an alien um, and that she'd come from a different planet and um, that she was completely different species from her family and her classmates and it it kind of follows her life and her being in an asexual marriage when she's older and um, yeah it was a really um, I mean, it was a, it was really well written. Um, the next one is um, a debut book by Bella Mackey. Um, <clears throat> she's a journalist um, and uh, she's written this book, um, How to Kill Your Family. And I was instantly pulled in by the title, not because, you know, I want to kill my family. It's just a very interesting title. Um, and that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> And that is exactly what someone who picked it up because they wanted to kill their Which is exactly what you would say. You know what, maybe I'll just take that out just in case for uh, for legal reasons. Because <laughs> otherwise we'd be on to you. Anyway, so um, this one I am just like kind of partway through. Um, it's, it's incredibly hilarious and um, such a great read. Um, uh, it's, it's very easy to read. But in the sense that it is just like it, it's in the first person of um, the girl um, Grace, who who um, has a full plot to kill her family. Um, but it's really interesting to understand the reasons why and yeah. how she carries it out, really. Um, and so, yeah, it, I'm really enjoying that one. On my to be read list, are we are we doing those? We're doing those. Yeah, right? we're doing those. I had a couple. Yeah. Okay. Well, here we go. <laughs> Buckle yourselves up. Uh, this um, isn't a visual medium. This is a podcast. But she literally just clunked down a huge pile of books. So um, yeah, you didn't see this before in. we started recording. Those two had to like go off and collect stacks of books just for this section. <laughs> um, I don't have a problem. I'm very, I'm very sane in the community of books. Okay. Um, You're contributing to the economy. Yeah, exactly. Waterstones, you know, is, is going to be thriving because I'm a customer. <laughs> anyway, so um, first book that I am dying to read um, is The Secret History by Donna Tartt. And um, this Ooh. is a very, this is quite an old book, I would say. Um, I'm not too sure of the plot, if I'm honest, but I know I... I'm going to be honest, I've been seeing it everywhere around TikTok and BookTube and the internet. And it is a very aesthetic book. Not only that, it is a floppy book. <laughs> I love floppy yeah. books. I love yeah, floppy I books. <laughs> and if you thought the flop stopped there, it doesn't. Because I also have another floppy book. It is called um, The Cabinet. Hold on one minute. Yeah. Once you on. flop, you just can't stop. It's true. It's true. Oh. You say it in as pun, but um, it's it's frankly my mantra at this point. It's my mantra. Um, see now, it, so you know, floppy books are just great. Um, I don't need to tell you why. You you just feel one, and you'll know. So <laughs> the <laughs> um, so the no, go on. All right. Okay. 
Um, so the next book is um, The Cabinet by uh, Unsu Kim. Um, this looked like a really interesting book. It's translated from Korean. Um, and or it's a bunch of stories which look at, um, <laughs> you know, capitalism and this view of capitalism that's so prominent in our society. And then the last book that I have that is I'm desperate to read <laughs> is Once Upon a Broken Heart by Stephanie Garber. Um, she was an author of um, it's Caraval, um, which was a very popular book. I never got round to reading it. Um, maybe not yet. I haven't really read any of her stuff. But um, the premise is, how far would you go for happily ever after? Um, and I'm not going to lie. I bought it because of the cover. Um, <laughs> because it is a hardcover book. And I know this doesn't show the cover of it, but just Google it and you'll see that it's like under the cover uh, is it, it's engraved you know it's one of those engraved covered books and i mean it's in gold foil and you can get four different types um and i have the arrow and um it's it makes me so happy and that's my that's my books honestly that's reason enough you know it makes you like happy and that's reason enough yeah, I think I feel like we will at some point need to have a discussion about covers because I am a sucker for a cover. Yeah. We could we could put it on the ideas list. Yeah, the, the yeah the book's table um, point of view is maybe you can judge a book by its cover. Yes. Okay. Mm. Sophie. Okay, Sophie, well, finish us off. My section is going to be very short because unlike these two, I do not read as much. Uh, so I. Yeah, I only read one book last month, which was our book club book, and there's only one book that I'm planning to read this month, which is Endgame by Mallory Blackman. It is the final book in the Noughts and Crosses series, and I think it that is, it's definitely the final, final one. There have been at least two other final books in this series, so... <laughs> But I believe or is she... it, Sophie? Or is it the final book? I believe That's she said that she intends to stop now. Um... But yeah, so it's 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 more of a young adult book, but I've been reading that series since I was like 10 or something, and I'm just... A young adult. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm just too invested, basically, to stop now. I was like, I need to find out how it ends. But if you don't know the premise of Noughts and Crosses, uh, it takes place in a world that's kind of a flipped perspective on our, on our own, where the black, black is kind of the dominant class and the white are the oppressed... Uh, group and it just kind of explores basically a lot of racial tensions that take place in our own world in this kind of inverted um yeah this inverted version of it uh and i am yeah very excited to read that i just <laughs> don't know when i'll start although in my defense i will say i am doing nanowrimo so i'm just like most brain power needs to go into the writing and then i'll start endgame soon ish maybe <laughs> check back with me next time and i'll tell you if i've read anything um but yeah that and that's it on my to be read i am currently being very realistic about how many books i'm gonna read so yeah realistic was a very fair jab at the two of us <laughs> absolutely because honestly 
you know, come back in a month and I will be nowhere near my my to be reading. So you will have bought five more books. Yeah. The worst thing is, I'll probably have read like ten different books that I didn't say I was gonna <laughs> read. But the books I sat down and was like, these ones just whoosh, completely gone. I have the attention span of a goldfish. <laughs> a goldfish who really loves reading. I think that is I mean that's all I've got. Yeah. <laughs> Please yeah. don't let me buy any more. <laughs> <laughs> She's a like, like we could stop you, even if we wanted to. I mean, I do have a few books already on the way. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are we going to do? Okay. You need, you need help. All right. That's help. it. Um, so, yeah, just a reminder, uh, our book club book of the month is uh, Once Upon a River by Dan Setterfield. We'll be discussing that um, at the end. And as always, uh, yeah, follow us on Instagram with a book table podcast over there as well. Um that case, I think that's everything. Yeah. All right. I think that's it. Goodbye and thank you for listening. <laughs>